and welcome to Spawned, a common sense and hopefully fun discussion on parenting and parenting culture. Hey, I'm Kristen Chase. And I'm Liz Gumbiner, and we're the co-founders of CoolMomPicks.com. And today we are talking to school psychologist Lynn Burrell, who's going to help us tackle one of the trickiest parts of parenting, discipline. Don't don't don't. Yes. I was just going to do that music, Liz, because I feel the same way. Listen, we have older kids, but you can always learn when it comes to parenting, but especially this topic. And we will be back to talk to Lynn about discipline right after this. We are pleased to welcome our sponsor, Weldon, a parent coaching service that matches parents to licensed child development professionals for parenting support and guidance via regular phone sessions, text, and personally curated content. By connecting with experts like our guest, Lynn Burrell, who is also a co-founder of Weldon, parents can develop a personal approach to everything from dealing with separation anxiety to managing tantrums and pretty much everything in between. New to the idea of parent coaching? It's a smart way for parents to get evidence-based support and guidance on parenting challenges from a licensed expert right at your fingertips. This is such a lifesaver. And Spawned listeners, go to helloweldon.com slash coolmoms, sign up to get matched with a Weldon Pro, and get your first 30-minute phone session free. That's helloweldon, H-E-L-L-O-W-E-L-D-O-N.com slash coolmoms for a free 30-minute phone session with a Weldon Pro. So let's just jump right in and we'll tell you a little more about our guest, Lynn Burrell. Lynn is a school psychologist. Yay for that. We need more of those in the world. And she began her career in clinical research at some of the nation's top hospitals. She has tons of experience with preschoolers through young adults. She works with children and families with learning disabilities, autism spectrum disorders, mental health issues, and executive functioning disorders. Her work with families and children is aimed at improving self-advocacy skills and increasing self-esteem and resilience. She's got a toddler son, and we love this. While she loves the West Coast, she does miss the fall foliage, a good East Coast bagel and pizza, which I got to agree on all three counts. We're East Coast ladies, right, Liz? I I love her already. I would like to sit down over a good East Coast bagel and some pizza right this second and talk about discipline. (laughs) So welcome, Lynn. (laughs) Hi, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Well, we've got a lot of questions about one of the topics that we get asked about a lot on Cool Mom Picks, actually. Parenting questions always, discipline, punishments, you're going to cover it all. And I know that you get a lot of questions from exacerbated parents about this topic. Why do you think it's so difficult for parents to find something that works? Right off the bat, some parents just feel that this is part of parenting. It's your rite of passage. You just kind of have to deal with it. They may have tried one thing. It didn't work. And then why try again? Discipline is probably one of the more unfavorable parts of parenting. You have so many other great aspects like overall seeing growth and the unconditional love and the brutal honesty that can be hilarious or pretty embarrassing. And then it all comes to a halt when you have that one moment where you kind of get derailed and you have to confront it and take control. You're no longer along for the ride. You're now having to steer that ship. I think it's the same when you're an adult. Confronting people or confronting issues can be very difficult for some. 
And it's really no different with your own child. You have to figure out what is my reaction and my behavior going to be like and what is the reaction I'm going to get. You know, the site zero to three where it helps families with children from zero to three to promote social emotional learning, understand developmental milestones, understand if there's problems where you might need referrals to pediatricians. Well, they did a giant survey on about 2,400 parents. And of those parents, over half felt that children under the age of three should be able to control their impulsivities. And we know from research, children don't really control their impulsivities until maybe three and a half, four, probably older. So when you set up this expectation that's not realistic and think like, oh, well, my child at two years old should be able to control this, you're going to set yourself up for a disaster. That's such a great point. (laughs) It is a really great point. I like that you're talking about little kids because I think that's where it begins. But I know it's also important when we're dealing with older kids as well. A hundred percent. Last year, we actually had a really fantastic conversation with Dr. Ken Ginsberg, who runs the Center for Parent and Teen Communications at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. And actually, he said something that really stayed with me. He said that the root of the word discipline, like the original Latin discipline, like the word disciple, is about teaching Mm -hmm. and learning. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was really helpful so that we think about it less like a punishment and more like a way to teach our children how to be in the world. And I think that's why consistency is so important because we're teaching our children how to be in the world. Can you talk a little bit more about that? For sure. I mean, it really comes down to consistency, consistency, consistency. And that part is just so hard to do, but it's probably one of the most important parts we can do as a parent. When I talk about consistency, I'm talking about no empty threats. And if we're working with like toddlers and you're on a playground and you say, you know, let's go down the slide three more times and then we're leaving the park. And then the fourth time your child says, can I just go down one more time? And you kind of are a little bit more lax and let them go. They know, hey, if I ask for a fourth turn, I'm going to get it. And maybe the next time you go to the park, you really need to leave after that third turn. And so now your child wants to up the game and say, wait a second, I got it when I asked, what am I going to have to do to get that fourth turn. You know, there's always that phrase, parenting is long days and the years are short. But when you're dealing with (laughs) challenging problems, those long days, let's face it, are like never ending. Oh, sometimes the hours are long. The minutes. The minutes are long (laughs) and the years are short. (laughs) And, And this is true for older kids as well. You know, challenging behaviors happen through lifespan. And we know that when we have behaviors, they're never at a convenient time, right? It's always happening in a public space where all of a sudden you feel like a spotlight shine down on you, you know, five bags of groceries in your hand, you're running to do an errand. And it's at that exact moment that your young toddler decides, I need to be as independent as I possibly can be right (laughs) now. And the audience (laughs) around you is staring to see how you're going to react and what your child is going to react. And so you kind of have to, at that point, take a deep breath and say, okay, here's my time. This is really frustrating. I got to put the work in right now because in the long run, it's going to be less work. As parents, if we have a consistent approach, it actually allows our children to be more in control of their behaviors. They then learn what our expectations are, how we follow through on what our expectations are, and then they know what they're allowed to do and what not to do. You know, another thing, I always compare things with like adult and adult world. If a boss says one day you can go home early and the next day docks you pay, it's going to be very confusing for you. That's a great example. Yes. And hey, bosses, don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) And we know know that (laughs) that happens all the time, right? So we don't know how to please. We don't know how to please.
please and what our bosses are looking for. And we're the boss in a parenting situation. So our children are looking to us and wanting to please and they're wanting to know, hey, what can I do? And when we set these limits, it's really helpful for our children because this is how they start to grow resiliency. They learn how to self-soothe or self-regulate. They learn how to communicate their needs, you know, how to even deal with disappointment, which is a huge one, and just how to respond appropriately. I am a school psychologist. So while we talk about like the span of ages between birth to teenage years, it's also important to include the special needs population as well. For some, those behaviors can be even more challenging. So sometimes we think, you know, it's too hard to be consistent. But with a special needs population, consistency is just as important. I appreciate you being inclusive and mentioning all kinds of kids. You know, Mm -hmm. we're not development experts. We have kids, but many of us have never really been around kids that much. I mean, I babysat, I taught kids, but I was never really around a baby that much. And so, you know, I love this idea of making sure we're managing our expectations Mm -hmm. because we just have this assumption, right? It's not even research-based. We just assume kids should be able to do certain things and should be able to get certain things. And they're not because (laughs) we're not child experts. Can you talk more about both parents being involved if there are two in the household? How important is it? And I ask this because I feel like I've heard it a lot. You know, you have to be in agreement of what you're going to do. You're on a team together and you both have to support each other. So is that, in in your experience and what you talk to parents about, important? This is the one that gets me in trouble because one parent is looking at the other parent waiting for them to hear, like, you need to be on the same page and then they can be the old gotcha. You know, I told you so. I was right. You need to listen to me. But in reality, it makes life easier if you're aligned and on the same page, because then you do have that consistency. We know that a child learns from a very, very early age to play one parent against another, whether they're in the same home or outside of the home. And that kind of shows that sometimes communication is poor. I can get this when I go here, but I don't get that when I go here. So it makes life easier if we have that consistency and have that conversation and get aligned with what we feel is really important. But the reality is we're adults and sometimes adults, if you're married, if you're not married, don't necessarily agree. So we have to really step up that adulting and kind of find a common ground. I think that's where those, you know, communication skills come in with the parents or co-parents or partners. And caregivers as well. I mean, it's really important to bring your caregivers in on what you believe, your values, your disciplinary techniques, like what to punish, what not to punish. Agreed. And the the other one that like a lot of people leave out that tends to have a lot of friction is your grandparents. (laughs) (laughs) No comment. Oh, man. Bringing in the grandparents. (laughs) Right? We tend to have sometimes a different philosophy from our parents. And that can be kind of a hard conversation to navigate. Oh, and by the way, for my kids' grandparents who might be listening, this is not about any of you. I'm just saying. There's there's all (laughs) kinds of grandparents in the world. So just, just making that clear. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, we have different styles. We are not going to agree all the time. I do think it's good to put on a united front and to try to make a formal decision if you are going to use a specific discipline. Like I said, that conversation sometimes needs to be negotiated and you need to be able to say, okay, this is what's really important. These are the common grounds. These are some of the compromises and these are the absolutes. Got it. So as long as we're talking about being consistent with our discipline, let's Mm -hmm. talk about punishments a little bit or whatever 
term we want to use for it. Are you a proponent of punishments or repeated disciplinary tactics? I don't know what's like the better term for it. Right. Wow, did you just make that up, Liz? I that did. was really good. Yeah, that was pretty good. <laughs> I, I can make words. <laughs> um, so I really want to know, and I think this would be helpful for our listeners, what types of approaches are most effective with kids? I know that these days there's a lot of taking away of screens when you have tweens and teens, but like, what do you think is a good tactic for, say, a preschooler versus a grade schooler versus an older kid? Sure, this is a great question. You know, when we talk about punishment, a lot of people don't really like that word. They have a big distaste for it. When I think of punishment, I think about it in terms of a very scientific perspective in the field of applied behavior analysis, which really just states that punishment refers to a consequence that's going to have an effect of reducing future behaviors. So it kind of takes away some of the scariness of a punishment. Then there's all different types and all different types of philosophies on how to use punishments. When we talk about this popular style of taking things away, you've got to go back to where your child is developmentally. A two and a three-year-old can understand a consequence for their behavior if it's immediate. You know, like, hey, if you hit your brother with the sand shovel, I'm going to take it away. But if you say, if you hit your brother with the sand shovel, you're not getting ice cream tonight, it's going to be lost on them. They don't have that future thought process to make that connection. Right. Plus, kids are not good with the like gratification thing. Like, I think for most kids, as I recall when mine were little, that like taking away the thing they have now was much more effective than like something in the future that could or couldn't happen. Completely. And that's that dealing with not being able to have a sense of time. Even with teenagers, yes, they can hold off and realize like, oh, if I do this, I'm not going to get to go to the event that's happening on Saturday. Saturday. But it doesn't really work. If you have a system in which a child is only losing things, it's not really going to change behavior. You know, you're most likely going to do the opposite. You're going to probably create more challenging behaviors because there's no motivation to stop. You've already lost the item that you are interested in. Where if you just twist it a little bit and try to have your child earn the things that they want, you have a motivator and it's really powerful to get those desired behaviors that you're looking for. Well, I have slightly older kids. So let me ask you about the screen thing specifically that Kristen brought up because I'm really curious. For example, if I had a kid who was earning increasing phone privileges, and that's something that we talk about a lot, like having them earn more independence and demonstrate their maturity and ability to make good decisions, and then they continue to earn privileges. Then let's say you find that they're on some like awful group text. The group text is the thing these days. You have a few years to look forward to that, yes, Lynn. Yes. It's great no, fun. I, I work in a middle there school. There you go. Oh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, they're on a group text, and you find that they're doing something mean or bullying or awful. Don't you think it would be effective to be like, nope, you just like lost your texting privileges for a week until you can come back and like be more responsible about it? Yeah, in those cases I do. But you know, the point of it is, is it has to be set up correctly. So when you are giving your child the phone, you've made those rules and those expectations very, very clear. Uh, so it's like, Kristen, your cell phone contract that you have with your kids. So it sounds like you can take things mm -hmm. away as long as you set up in advance that that is one of the consequences of breaking the rules or the a hundred percent, because going back to like the example with your boss, if your boss all of a sudden adds a different component that you weren't aware of, you're going to think it's very unfair. And I didn't know that. And if I had known that, I would have had a chance to not do this behavior. So if you're setting up the expectation, the contract or saying like, OK, this is what my expectations are and the rules. If you break the rules, this is what the consequences are. You're then kind of giving your child a choice to be able to behave in that realm or not. As opposed to like, OK, you did a horrible thing on text. 
you can't go to the movies tonight. Completely. And that's very, very motivating for older kids, right? Our phone, you can pretty much get them to do anything you want. Mom, you took away my whole life. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I have so many students I work with who, you know, are down for the whole day. And I'm like, what's going on? Well, I don't have my phone and, you know, or there's the empty threat. And that doesn't really change it. Like, I'm going to take your phone away. And it's a little bit hard, I think, for parents when we talk about like consistency again, sometimes with the phone, when you take things away, because it really becomes a situation that's not comfortable for a parent. You have a child then that's nagging and constantly persistent and at you that they want the phone back. So it becomes sometimes more work. <laughs> you have to stand strong. Sometimes it's easier to just give the damn phone back. <laughs> right? Exactly. And half the time, a lot of parents do do that. And then we have that breaking consistency, that empty threat, and it kind of then kind of all goes to pot. When I think about punishment or discipline, I'm a real big proponent on the reinforcing the positive. So you want to look at that desired behavior. Hey, you know, I love how responsible you're being. If we're going to talk about the older population, I love how responsible you're being with that phone. I love that you're being kind to your friends. I like that you're ignoring the drama. You're not getting involved in the group texts. You're being really responsible. That is good behavior that you're rewarding and good attention that you're rewarding. And you kind of give a little bit of a push that you're going to be able to hopefully see more of that. When you're working with toddlers, you're going to say things like, I love how you're sitting at the table. I love how you're waiting. Great job playing with your brother or your sister. Nice job being so gentle with your dog. As people, we like that positive attention. So if I get praise for that, well, I'm going to do that versus doing the undesired behavior where it's not going to go my way. We all like praise. Catch them being good. <laughs> you know, it's interesting, but when you start to use that practice, catching them, and it's the small things too. It sounds ridiculous because you, you're like, I love the way you're sitting right. in your chair. But you know, that, that it works. It really works. It takes practice. And if you think about adults too, like we like to hear that. I mean, I don't often get told that I'm doing a nice job sitting in my chair, but <laughs> I might appreciate. Kristen, we've all learned those words and we've talked about this before, like that it really helps when you want to encourage your kids to say, I love watching you play or I love watching you play piano or I love watching you swim or I love watching you dance and that that's really encouraging and helpful and that successful athletes have all grown up hearing that from their parents. So I actually like the idea a lot of applying that to the other little things that we see our kids do. I love watching you share or I love seeing you sit up so nicely in your chair or I really liked watching you say thank you to the waiter at the restaurant. I really love how you stand so nicely in your closet, Liz. <laughs> <laughs> I do my best. Even though it's hot and uncomfortable. <laughs> and, and the other like component to that that doesn't really get talked about that much besides the fact that you're promoting the desired behaviors that you want to see, it also kind of helps change the mindset of you as a parent because as we started this conversation, challenging behavior are, are nightmares. And they can really bring down your mood, bring down your day. They take long, they take effort, you're tired. And sometimes that's the only thing then that we're concentrating on. We look at our child and we want to avoid it. We get upset. We're frustrated. We're sometimes don't like our child very much at that moment. And so having to constantly concentrate on the good puts us in a different mindset of, wow, there's many moments in the day that my child is really lovely and I'm able to do things and I'm enjoying this. Time. So how do you know if things are working? And part of me feels like this might be a really obvious question. You know, like, are there the choirs are singing and your child just comes down the stairs in a happy mood, eating whatever you give them for breakfast without complaining. But that's not really the case, right? It's not the sign of success, right? So I'm curious, 
curious to know, how do you know, you know, when your parents come back to you and you hear certain things, what are those things that you're hearing that you're, you're saying, okay, this is working for you? In the purest, simplest forms, all of a sudden you see a decrease in the non-desired behaviors. Those challenging behaviors, they start to decrease and they start to say, okay, I'm not seeing them as much. That shows us that you're having some success. However, I think parents do get lost in not noticing those little small gains. And I definitely want to say the expectation that I'm going to all of a sudden implement a technique or a strategy and it's going to be a quick fix is an unrealistic expectation for us as parents. It usually gets a lot worse before it gets better. We have something that we call an extinction burst in the like you know, technical behavioral world. And that really means that once you put a limit on, your child is going to really up their game and they're going to bring out all their best moves. <laughs> and they're going to challenge and push and make it really difficult because they're going to say like, oh my gosh, this isn't working. This isn't working. I got to try this technique. I got to try something to see what I'm going to push through this boundary to get my way. And then if you're able to hold strong and you're able to work through that really difficult burst, that's when we tend to see our behaviors decrease. And this is where I think having a coach, a parenting coach like like with Hello Weldon, that they can kind of take you through and see your small gains. Because we tend to sometimes get lost or, or we're concentrating on so many behaviors or so many things. And it's nice to have somebody that says, wait a second, when we first spoke, this was the issue and this was happening and and then we kind of analyzed it and we went through it. And now look what's going on for sleeping. You're able to sleep in your bed four times a week alone versus, you know, zero. So yes, we still have to work on a couple of days or leaving the playground was a nightmare for you the majority of the time. And you decided that going to the park wasn't going to be something that you were going to do anymore. But now we've gotten to a point where, you know, there was a tantrum once a week. Let's work on, you know, bringing that down even further. But it's really seeing the decrease in those behaviors. So let's end on one of the tougher questions. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and we know we've heard about this from a lot of our listeners and our readers, which is tantrum. Uh And, you know, tantrums is something every parent has dealt with. Maybe in response to something going on in the world kids can't control. Maybe even in response to our own disciplinary tactics. (laughs) Attempts, So tell me what you say to parents you work with when they come to you with a child who is having issues around tantrums and raging behavior from kids. Sure. You know, first I think that it's pretty important to figure out what age are we talking about. If we're talking about the younger ages, 18 months to three years, often Oftentimes, those tantrums kind of take on a different form. At that developmental milestone, our little ones are just learning how to understand their emotions and their feelings and how to have control over it. And they want to be independent, but they also want to, you know, have the love and care of a caretaker. So they're kind of experiencing this internal conflict. And then you add the fact that they have difficulty with language, right? They're just learning how to express themselves verbally. And then if we talk about, and again, including special needs children, there might be more difficulty with language or there might be more difficulty with being able to shift from one activity to the next. So they have to be able to find that balance to be able to express their needs. And then you add just like physical components, if they're hungry or they're thirsty and they're tired and they can't express that, you'll see tons of tantrums. That's usually with the younger age group. And so we kind of help parents try to figure out what's going on. We often refer to something as ABCs, the very, again, technical term, the antecedent, the behavior and the consequence. And that means is What's going on right before a behavior happens? 
What does the behavior look like? And then what's the consequence? By finding out and really analyzing those three components, you can kind of bring down tantrums or any kind of behavior. So, okay, you know, my child who's younger, who doesn't have language, is been playing with a, a game and, and they are frustrated, they can't do it, but they don't know how to ask for help. So all of a sudden we get a giant tantrum and then the consequence might be the toy is taken away and now the tantrum, you know, escalates. So we say and analyze like that, oh, well, we need to figure out how we can get them to ask for help. So we start modeling language, help me, you know, I need help. Or we sometimes give them a sign language for help and teach a child like, okay, with those frustrating moments, how are you going to be able to express your wants? And then I think, you know, for the older kids that tantrum around three to five, there's sort of this shift in a purpose for why children tantrum. At that age, for the most part, children have developed their communication skills or, you know, have progressed. And they kind of are looking at tantrums to really figure out the power in the relationship. Like, okay, so now how is my caregiver or my parent, my grandparent, how are they going to respond when I, you know, make this decision? Is this a healthy choice or not a healthy choice? How can I negotiate? That's pretty typical, but it can be sometimes more challenging for parents. And then when you ask like, oh, well, how do parents respond to that? I think there's just some general like do's and don'ts. Again, we're going to be looking at that, what we call those ABCs what's happening before, what's happening during, and what's happening after. You know, sometimes the after, if our child is crying a lot, we end up then, you know, consoling and giving hugs and spending a lot of extra time. And that can be very reinforcing and reward that behavior. Yes, yes, yes. If I remember one thing from my little kid days, it was your kid needs to be comforted because their hurt is one thing. If they're having a tantrum, like let them have Mm -hmm. the tantrum, it'll pass. Otherwise, they're learning that it's a way to get attention. I think that's helpful. And I love the ABC thing. We're like big on acronyms. In fact, Kristen, I'm thinking we should like come up with one instead of punishment, like behavior modification approach, BMA. (laughs) And we could like have this whole talk like, what's your BMA? And then it it doesn't sound quite so awful. We won't feel so bad about being like evil parents that are are disciplining our kids. (laughs) Right. And the word discipline, like you said, is a really nice word because it's supposed to be given with like love and structure. Yes. Again, think of disciple. We all want to raise our children to be disciples of good behavior, I suppose. (laughs) (laughs) You know, um, in the beginning when we were talking about this site, zero to three, they did a giant survey on about 2,400 parents. And one of the questions, 69% of the parents said that if they knew more about positive parenting strategies, they would use them. And then over half also said that they wish they had more information to be better parents. So I think it's fantastic that you're doing podcasts about these topics. And I think that this is also one of the reasons why we created Hello Weldon is because we didn't really want parents to feel helpless or to avoid doing discipline strategies. We wanted to be able to empower them with the strategies and the strengths that they have and use it effectively. Yay! I love that. I love ending on a positive note because we also believe that all parents have it within them and we all have strengths and we all have strategies that we build over time. And it's so great, like as a reminder that we've probably already got what we need, that there's just ways to help us put it to use better. So thank you. I I really hope that this was helpful for our listeners who are struggling with some of these issues. And you can do it, parents. You can go out there and discipline your kids. So, um, Lynn, you're going to stick around for Cool Picks of the Week? Yes. All right. Well, now it's time for Cool Picks of the Week. Cool Picks of the Week. And Lynn, you're our guest, so you get to go first. So I'm very obsessed with always trying to find the perfect bag that looks somewhat stylish but can carry like 
everything. Oh, yeah. And we I, are familiar <laughs> with this conundrum. <laughs> especially when you're in that, like, toddler phase. So I have, I feel like I, I've done a really good job. Um, Free People has sells an oversized sling bag. It reminds me of something that I probably grew up in the 80s, so that's probably another reason why I really love it. But you can pretty much fit a body in it, or it kind of collapses and isn't as big when you don't have as much stuff. But that would be my cool pick. I feel like um, as a parent, when you need to have two hands and be able to be agile and move very quickly, this goes around your your neck, hangs at your hip, and can carry everything. I want this bag. This is our <laughs> bag. What do we call her? Aficionado. Bag lady? <laughs> It's okay. <laughs> just call me the bag lady. <laughs> the bag lady. I like that. All right. So my cool pick of the week, I'm just going to go. I'm not even asking permission, Liz. Um, <laughs> I'm talking about my new Old Navy running pants. They're actually, I should say leggings. I don't really, I don't know. Are leggings pants? All pants are leggings, but lot leggings are pants. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> they're they're awesome. They're affordable. They fit really well. They stay up and they're high-waisted which, you know, some people like the high-waisted pants, and they have pockets. So, you know, a few people we love, Stefania Pompany loves these, and I trust her judgment so much. She kept talking about them, and I kept kind of, like, being a little skeptical about them, and then I bought them, and I love them. So, anyway, Old Navy running pants. Go get them, even if you don't run. I love that. (laughs) Well, that's a good segue for what is not an affordable pick at all. But I'm lucky to have like a really wonderful partner who picks out awesome holiday gifts. So I want to give a shout out. Now, I know we've talked before about Tata Harper, Mm -hmm. which is an amazing line of all natural, incredible beauty products. And everything smells like heaven to me. It's more like herbal than like the sweet floral stuff for your kids. And I just adore it. Anyway, they have a resurfacing mask. And this time of year, my skin is feeling like the January blues. (laughs) It's like... I don't know, looking ashy and dull and rough and like terrible. And he got me this resurfacing mask and I was not like, what are you saying? Are you saying that my skin doesn't look good? And so instead, I just delighted in the mask. And you know what, Kristen, it's like one of those, it feels more like a little gel that you kind of put on. It's not like one of these crazy Korean face masks. It's really simple. You just kind of cover your face with it. It doesn't have any color. It's not green or purple or anything like that. It's just, (laughs) it just feels like kind of like putting some really cooling, almost like aloe, like that kind of kind of feeling on your face and you let it dry 20 minutes and then that's it. And it's lovely. It is so nice. I've been using it a couple times a week. I totally see the difference. So it's Tata Harper resurfacing mask. Really good if, like me, your skin could use some uh, perking up this winter. And of course, we will link this in all of our cool pics and more about the information you heard here today on our podcast page on Cool Mom Picks. Well, that's it. Thank you, Lynn. And thank you to all of our listeners for joining us for another episode of Spawn. Huge thanks to our engineer, John Bowen. And once again, thanks to our guest, Lynn Burrell, school psychologist and co-founder of our sponsor, Weldon. Remember, you can get this kind of child development expertise personalized to your situation with Weldon's parent coaching service. To get more information, which you definitely want to do, go to helloweldon.com slash coolmoms to get your first phone session with the Weldon Pro for free. There are a few things that you can do to help us spread the word and support Spawned. 
subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. Download or save our episodes so you can listen to us when you're walking in the dark forests of Czechoslovakia and you don't The dark forests of Czechoslovakia? I don't know. Maybe they're coming from the past. We have listeners from the past. Yeah, so they need to download their episodes so they don't miss them. There's no Wi-Fi back in 1982. Come on. And if you're a listener, then you are part of our Spawned podcast community and you too can make jokes about former Eastern European communist countries that have dismantled to become something else but to make it official join us on facebook you can find our group link on our podcast page just look for spawned podcast community or search the term on facebook and you will find us we'll be right there we'd love to have you join us to chat about everything we talk about here today and well anything else at all it's become a really helpful resource for all kinds of questions i got a ton of help from listeners on there this week asking a tough question about befriending school parents So um, that's a kind of cool topic to check out if you happen to be in the Spawn podcast community. We'd love you to weigh in. Thanks so much for listening to Spawn. This is Kristen. And this is Liz. Have a great day. Bye. Bye.